unless some sweetness at the bottom lie who cares for all the crinkling of the pie. What do you think that means? Who cares about crust if there isn't something good underneath? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is so That's succinct literally and what it means. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> everyone, welcome to BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book Podcast. I'm Tilly. I'm Nikki. And I'm Kelly. In this episode, we're talking about the first book in the beloved Flavia de Luce mystery series, The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie, by Alan Bradley, which was first published in 2009. Here's the publisher's synopsis from Nikki. It's the summer of 1950, and at the once grand mansion of Buckshaw, young Flavia Deleuze, an inspiring chemist with a passion for poison, is intrigued by a series of inexplicable events. A dead bird is found on the doorstep, a postage stamp bizarrely pinned to its beak. Then hours later, Flavia finds a man lying in the cucumber patch and watches him as he takes his dying breath. For Flavia, who is both appalled and delighted, life begins in earnest when murder comes to Buckshaw. I wish I could say I was afraid, but I wasn't. Quite the contrary. This was by far the most interesting thing that had ever happened to me in my entire life. <laughs> Same. So, so funny. <laughs> All right, Kelly, would you like to introduce the drink we've chosen with this episode? Yes, I would. So the drink we've chosen is called a cucumber cooler cocktail and is made with gin, cucumber, lime, tonic water, mint, and sugar. Since most of the action takes place in Flavia's family's cucumber patch, we thought it would be fitting and hilarious to make use of them. So why don't we take a sip? I'm a little nervous because I don't think I did it properly. (laughs) How did you, what is there to not do properly? Okay, well, I don't think I put enough tonic water in, so it could be quite um, pungent, I guess. That's a full glass. If it's not tonic water, what is it? Ice. it melted no oh, oh. <laughs> i was like wow I you really got a heavy hand with the gin eh? yeah <laughs> two shots of vodka no <laughs> but like okay the recipe i guess i should mention to everyone it says to muddle everything together and then put oh, yeah. in a shaker i have the tools i didn't do it because i was too lazy so that's a lot of effort yeah i figured flavia would approve so i just went for it <laughs> Love it. Shall we give it a go? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cheers. 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 Mm, cucumber, <coughs> gin, oh. tonic. I like oh. all of it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. So refreshing. You're strong. Uh, it, uh. So if you don't hear <laughs> Kelly talking after like 20 minutes of this, she's passed out. <laughs> it's oh, fine. No. Oh, God, everything is so lime and gin. Oh, God. <laughs> before you pass out, try to say valet before you go, okay? Just in the <laughs> spirit of the book. <laughs> All right, so next uh, we're going to go ahead and give our star ratings out of five, uh, just to give you some idea of our reading experiences. And we're going to give little explanations to just, like, give you some context as to why we rated it a certain way. So, um, Nikki, would you like to start us off? I would love to. 
I loved this book. I gave it a five Yay. out of five. It was <laughs> like everything I could have wanted. I have to say when um, Tilly suggested we do this book and I looked at the cover, I was like, I am not going to like this book because this cover's ugly <laughs> because I'm one of those oh, people. No. And <laughs> yeah, I'm petty. So <laughs> I started reading it, got like 20 pages in, and then I was like, I need to buy the physical copy because I knew I was going to love the book so much. And I put post-it notes on every clue because I was trying to figure it out the whole time. I did not figure it out, which made me love it even more <laughs> because right. I really hate when things are predictable. But yeah. yeah, I had a great time. I thought this was hilarious. It mm-hmm. was, it's, I think it, it is a book for adults, but mm-hmm. you can read it really at any age. It's very versatile. And it was just a great time. Flavia is such a good character. She's so spicy and just like hilarious. And I, I pictured her dad, um, the Colonel as, uh, christopher Plummer, oh like uh, in the sound of music so i was like having a great time with that but yeah it was it was great it was just so much fun i love that i had never it never occurred to me that but it's totally true that that's a christopher Plummer role yeah like, that makes total sense to me i love it rest in peace oh. yeah kelly what did you think of the book Sure. So I gave it a four out of five. And I think I gave it a four. I don't know if I want a four or four and a half. Maybe I'll say a four and a half because I really enjoyed it. But at first it took me a second to get into it just because of where I was at mentally in that time. Mm. But then I started reading it and I had so much fun. Like, like Nikki said, Flavia is just out of this world. I love her so much. (laughs) And I also looked at the cover and I was like, this cover sucks. You know, they need some new covers. They need some new covers. They need to rebrand. Yeah. Yes. And also because it is an older book, they should just have a new cover to hopefully like entice more people, ramp up sales again. You know, Um, he is a Canadian author. So it's also pretty cool. I had never heard of him or this book series, which I was like, oh, because I remember saying to you, Tilly, that I wish I had known about this when I was younger, because I loved Flavia. <laughs> like, I wanted to hang out with her. <laughs> yeah. And I kept forgetting that she was 11, because she was just so sassy, and so confident and strong. And I was just like, oh, my God, she was like, she was an <sighs> okay, she was the Anne from Anne of Green Gables that I wanted, because I'm not really a fan of Anne of Green Gables. Sorry, everybody. Oh, but, my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm like the I'm odd with one you. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> I've never, I'm always the only one, but like, I don't know. She, she reminded me of Pippi Longstocking or Anne, like what they're supposed mm. to be, but she was what I wanted out of those characters, basically. Um, and I think I just docked points because there were parts where I was like, I don't know how she's coming up with this or like how this is connecting. But I still really enjoyed it, and I probably will read the second one. So, hey oh, four and a half, I think, out of five. That's great. Love it. Well, um, I've been having a very good couple of episodes because I also gave this a five out of five. This is another book that I recommended for the podcast, as Nikki kind of alluded to. I've actually read this book, I think, three, maybe four times. Um, but I actually crazily haven't read any of the other books. Oh. I'm not sure why. Um, Because there's, I think, 10 of them at this point. 
I thought I had read the the next two or three, but I, I looked at my Goodreads and I'm like, oh, I guess I never did. Weird. So I just am really invested in this one story. Um, <laughs> I love Flavia as well. As we've said, I think her voice and her characterization alone are worth five stars because it's just <laughs> so unique and so well-developed and so like contradictory. Like she's this 11-year-old who is into poisons and is like a genius. So she's taught herself chemistry. And as a person who took chemistry in university, I was like very, I very much vibed with that <laughs> with the first time I read this book because I also loved chemistry. Um, and yeah, I think the mystery is great. I think the side characters are great. I really love the setting. Um, I think I, I, what I was really struck by this kind of third or fourth iteration of reading it was Alan Bradley takes every opportunity to make a sentence an event. Like, it's like every sentence kind of had, like, a joke or, like, a, a a joie de vivre or, like, it had something about it. Like, he's just such a wordsmith that I just really enjoyed the writing of it this time where I wasn't so focused on, like, what the story would be because I knew all the details. And it was just really, really lovely time um, rereading it. So, five out of five for me. One thing I will say, like, about the the kind of mystery aspect and how there were Kelly kind of brought up sometimes where it's like I don't know how you're getting this but I think that's pretty like on par for most mystery novels every like they're you only have so many pages and who wants to read about the runaround to find a clue right yeah I'm not particularly interested in that um so while I agreed there were some times where I was like okay am I following this correctly it didn't bother me because I was like, Agatha Christie did that shit left, right, and center, and it was fine. So this yeah. is fine, too. But yeah, I agree. There was definitely times where I was like, you're you're um, pulling at things that I don't know how you you got that, but great. Yeah. I'm, I'm in it to win it. You're licking a lot of stamps. I I also think part of that, too, might be Flavia not understanding herself, but, like, making things up because she's 11 and she's trying to make connections that, like, don't really exist. I kind of wondered that this read-through of, like, how much of this has she actually kind of just accidentally fallen upon rather than, like, puzzled at herself, but because she has such a high opinion of herself, and and which she should because she's amazing Mm -hmm. and she knows it. Um... I think maybe part of that is her leaping to conclusions that aren't exactly there, which is a super fun dynamic for a character. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I guess uh, in a good way, if Alan Bradley just misstepped and it seemed to work with the character or Mm. if that was intentional. It doesn't really matter either way. It was it was uh, great, but with his writing, I was really surprised how much this um, fully matured adult man uh, could write such a compelling 11-year-old girl. I was like, what <laughs> is going on? He must have some really wonderful grandkids. Yeah. Well, and it just like, never mind Flavia, but also the siblings, because they're right? dynamic mm-hmm. together. Like, I'm one of three siblings, and I just like... <laughs> the way they interact with each other. And I'm also the youngest, so I understand. I wasn't exactly like Flavia, but <laughs> there were certain moments where I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> like, just the attitude in her head of like, oh, blah, 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 or like, oh, she'll find out later. You know, like all these like little like quips. And stuff. 
I just loved it. I just, the dynamic and like, it is true. A lot of the times I find I read books written by men and when there's female characters, I'm like, I don't know about this, you know? And I really liked this. I thought, I just thought all of them were just a lot of fun. I do wish I had learned more about her father, but I think that was Mm -hmm. a conscious choice because it's kind of like when you're a kid, you don't know everything about your parents and they are kind of a mystery at that age. So I kind of, it's funny you said that you saw Miss Christopher Plummer. I thought of the dad sort of like the dad from Little Princess, only in the sense that he is a very mysterious character and you Mm. see him through the eyes of the little girl. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I really enjoyed it. I loved the characters. I loved the three girls. (laughs) And I also loved her with her friend, is it Mary? Mm-hmm. their short little interaction i just loved the way that she um consoled her while also like lightening the mood and i just uh, i'm sure we'll talk about that later because i don't want to spoil mm-hmm. anything but yeah yeah i think there was a lot of really great setup for characters later in the series mm-hmm. because there's 10 of them but i do believe they all take place kind of in the same like in bishop's lacy is that what the town is called yeah um and I could see a lot of these characters being like, oh, a fun, recurring, familiar face um, throughout the series. Yeah, I'm really interested in later books, hopefully to see more of Daffy and Feely, because I loved the little snippets we got of them. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to learn more. The end of the book, you get more of a feeling for Ophelia or Feely. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just, I thought they were great. The dynamic, I mean, I don't have siblings, so I wouldn't know if it's, like, true to, like, what a dynamic is like with them, but I think that it was, like, really, really well done for, like, for a reader to see that, Mm -hmm. and also, um, the relationship that Flavia has with Dogger was also very, very nice, And yeah, I don't know, like all the characters in this book were so good. There was something from all of them that I was like, I love you or I hate you strongly. (laughs) (laughs) Did anyone think of, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget his name now. We just read it. In Rebecca, the man friend. (sighs) Frank. 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 I kind of thought of him for Dogger because it was the same kind of role. But I like mm-hmm. Dogger more, I think, because <laughs> it wasn't like a creepy story. <laughs> I wasn't suspicious. Cool. All right. Are we ready to do some book recommendations? Yeah. yeah. All right. What do you got, Kelly? I flip-flopped quite a few times as to what I wanted to recommend. <laughs> I was going to okay. recommend a middle grade mystery that I loved when I was a kid. But then I was like, no, I don't want to recommend a mystery because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. I just kept going back to Flavia and her sass and attitude and how many times I laughed out loud while reading it. And so I decided to recommend a book series that I read as a kid. And I don't remember if I've actually finished the series, but I would love to revisit and finish them maybe next year (laughs) if I can. But this series is the Confessions of Georgia Nicholson series by Louise Renaissance. I don't know if either of you have read the books, but there was a movie based off of the first book, and the movie was called Angus Thongs and Full Frontal... Oh, no, I'm Perfect Snogging. Yes, because the book is Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging, and it's just... (laughs) 
The book series are so, it's so bizarre and quirky and just hilarious. Like, I don't even understand what went through her head when she wrote these books. <laughs> but they're just so good. And I think back to Georgia Nicholson. And I just remember sitting in the living room with my sister Olivia, and we would read um, like I would read the first book maybe and she'd have the second one on the go and we would just be laughing in the living room together but separately while reading these books because they're so funny and so it's not a mystery it's a book that is um, it follows Georgia Nicholson and her friends and her family but it's a journal so you read like her diary entries to get the plot basically and it's just a, a wild ride like I, I can't even tell you what the plot really is because it's just like a plot per book and just like the happenings of her and her friends. And it's so ridiculous. So much fun. Highly recommend just to give you a little quick snippet. Um, <laughs> she says things like fabity fab fab. Cause they're British and she's like a cool little teenager, you know? <laughs> and she, <laughs> I say this all the time. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, but I say, um, all alone on my ownie. She used to say that in the book. <laughs> I've never heard you say that, really? but I, I believe you. <laughs> yeah. And she oh. also says, ho-hum, pig's bum. <laughs> she has so <laughs> many weird catchphrases in these books, and they're hilarious. So highly, highly recommend the series uh, Confessions of Georgia Nicholson by Louise Renaissance. If you also want to read another series with a sassy amazing teenage girl or i guess flavie's a preteen but still highly recommend um nikki what have you got for us um i think this is one that i have probably recommended a few times and it's a book from season one of the bring your own book podcast it is truly devious by maureen johnson i thought you'd recommend that one (laughs) i i just love this book i cannot get over it even now like i think about it probably once a week And I just, it's such a freaking joy to read. You get the same kind of atmosphere that you get in this book, even though it's set in America, because it's set in a boarding school. You have all of these old um, buildings that they're using as dormitories. So you get all of that kind of like old English feeling, even though it's set in Vermont you have a really kind of like kooky, weird uh, protagonist, Stevie, who is solving a mystery at Ellingham Academy, which is the school she is going to. So you get to see her solving a mystery from, oh, the 1930s. So you get that aspect, which is also kind of similar to um, The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. And then she's also solving a mystery that's happening while she's at the school in the present. So it has a lot of similarities. It's, um, I think she's like 16, so a little bit older than Flavia. She's a teenager. But all very good, very witty, very funny. So, yeah, I mean, and there's four books, so you can binge away. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that book a lot when I was rereading The Sweetness of the Bottom of the Pie, and I, yeah. I thought they were also quite similar. <laughs> what about you, Tilly? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm going to recommend a book that it's been a, quite a long ten, time since I've read it, but it just kind of reappeared in my brain as being in the similar kind of tone of like a cozy mystery. So it is also like a kind of a murder mystery book that 
like the sweetness at the bottom of the pie doesn't ever feel very scary. Like it feels kind of like comforting and like, yeah, like cozy and like heartwarming in a way, even though there's a murder. Um, so I'm going to recommend The Beekeeper's Apprentice by Laurie R. King. So this is also about a capable female detective, though she's a bit older than Flavia. Um, so in this series, King imagines Sherlock Holmes as a retired older man. Uh, so he's only concerned with the behavior of honeybees. So he's the, the beekeeper in the title. And then he meets promising young student Mary Russell and decides to take her on as his apprentice to solve crimes. So it's also um, a, a series. I'm not sure how many books there are, but quite a few, I think where they um, pair up together and kind of, like, solve crimes. So you've got, like, old Sherlock Holmes and then, like, young, brilliant female student Mary Russell. So I really enjoyed the first book and um, thought it would be a good, you know, pairing with this episode. So there you go. Cool. I love that. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Yeah, you'd, you'd probably like it, Nikki. Okay, great. Well, unless there's anything else, I think we're ready to move into spoilers territory. So if you haven't read the book and don't want to know how it all turns out, you should stop listening now. And if you like what you're hearing, feel free to leave us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice. So if you don't want any spoilers, you should leave now. Okay, we'll begin with a quick recap of the rest of the book. So we're all on the same page. As we know from the synopsis, the book takes place in 1950s England at the Deleuze family manor Buckshaw. In the first chapter, our young protagonist Flavia finds herself tied up in a closet, but she has all her wits about her and escapes easily. We soon find out that this was the work of her two older sisters, Daphne and Ophelia, and that this is a typical day in the life of the Deleuze girls. None of them really get along. 11-year-old Flavia is a brilliant amateur chemist, 13-year-old Daphne always has her nose stuck in a book, and 17-year-old Ophelia is a vain piano player. We learn that their mother, Harriet, died in a mountaineering accident 10 years ago, and their father, Colonel Deleuze, is distant and absorbed in his grief and his stamp collection. There is also Dogger, the colonel's former valet and current gardener of Buckshaw, who suffers from PTSD episodes from the war. Flavia has a particular passion for poisons and spends most of her time in an ancient chemistry lab in the attic of Buckshaw. In her witty inner monologue, she plans revenge on her sisters. But soon, strange events start happening. A dead bird with a postage stamp stuck on its beak shows up on their kitchen doorstep, upsetting Flavia's father in a way she has never seen before. That night, Flavia overhears him arguing with a stranger who claims they murdered someone named Mr. Twining 20 years ago. The next morning, Flavia stumbles over a body in the cucumber patch. The red-headed man is barely alive and breathes the word valet into Flavia's face before dying. Flavia is morbidly thrilled at this turn of events and tells Dogger, who calls the police. Inspector Hewitt arrives on the scene, and while Flavia is eager to help investigate, he quickly sends her away while they examine the body. Not to be deterred, Flavia decides to start her own investigation and begins reading up about the Mr. Twining she heard mentioned the night before. Flavia discovers in old newspapers that Mr. Twining was a beloved Latin teacher at her father's school, Greyminster, and that he killed himself by jumping off a tower. However, the elderly librarian Miss Mountjoy, who turns out to be Mr. Twining's niece, claims he was murdered by a group of his students, including Flavia's father. The boys had tricked Mr. Twining to arrange a showing of a rare stamp which disappeared the same evening. 
Miss Mountjoy also recognized the red-headed stranger in town as one of that group of students, Horace Bonapenny, and Flavia realizes that he was the dead man in the cucumbers. A writer named Frank Pemberton shows up at Buckshaw, asking to do an interview with Colonel Deleuze. After several days of puzzling out clues, Flavia hits a wall in her investigation. Then her father is arrested for the murder of Horace Bonapenny. Bonapenny and her father were friends at Greyminster and both aspiring magicians and stamp collectors. Bonapenny soon fell in with the wrong crowd, like the brutal Bob Stanley. The boys convinced Twining to arrange a viewing of a valuable stamp in the Dean's collection. But during the viewing, Bonapenny performed a magic trick and the stamp disappeared. After years, another rare stamp was stolen, and Flavia's father knew it was Bonapenny, who later came to the house to blackmail him into buying the stolen stamps. Flavia's father refused, but says he didn't kill Bonapenny. A whole lot of other wild things happened, including Flavia's visit to Greyminster, her discovery that Twining was pushed off the tower, more details about the two rare stamps called the Ulster Avengers, several new clues about the timeline of the murder, the discovery of both the Ulster Avengers in Bonapenny's suitcase, the destruction of one of the stamps, and the eventual reveal that Frank Pemberton, the writer, is actually Bonapenny's former business partner and murderer, Bob Stanley. (gasps) 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 (laughs) I'm so glad you completed the trio. (laughs) Flavia finds herself alone with Bob Stanley just as she makes this realization, and he ties her up and locks her in the pit of the old library while he searches for the Ulster Avengers. Just as he is threatening to kill Flavia, Dogger and Ophelia drive Harriet's old car into the building and save her. The police arrest Stanley, and the story ends with Flavia mailing the last Ulster Avenger to its rightful owner, King George, and his thank you letter back. <laughs> Such a, like, sweet, Wholesome weird ending. ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hmm, how should I mail this to him? Do you have the address? You know, like, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then he signs it, George. I love it. Yeah. George. I hope he is just a... Uh, always a character in the series <laughs> every every single crime has to do with king <laughs> yeah she writes you imagine? after every crime she solves like hi mr king george i just wanted to let you know <laughs> that <laughs> maybe she meets him at one point like maybe she becomes such a celebrated detective and she's that she meets the king yeah oh all right mr. get bradley. alan on the phone <laughs> we've got an idea dear <laughs> mr alan bradley <laughs> Okay, here's something I got to talk about, which is the title. In fact, all the titles for all the series. What's going on with them? Why are they all so wordy? What do they mean? Are they metaphors? I know this one is a uh, quote from a poem. It's a quote from The Art of Cookery. So the quote is, so it's uh, a cookbook from 1708, um, written by William King. And the quote is, unless some sweetness at the bottom lie, who cares for all the crinkling of the pie? What do you think that means? Who cares about crust if there isn't something good underneath? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is so That's literally what it means. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> but why do you think it's the title of the book? Like, I, I understand yeah. there's, like, some significance, but it just seems like such a random title especially for a book about um 
like a young chemist detective. I'm like, where's the connection? I guess with the the pie that the bird was smuggled in. But that felt like a loose association to me that that even was a thing. So I did mark where she says this quote. Now, oh, yeah, if isn't I can, it the if inspector? I can find where where it said is a whole other thing. But I think I did too. Actually, let me see. I think that is just like the sweetest, the sweetest quote. I thought it was so cute. Oh yeah, I found it. Page two twenty three. I'm delighted if there's no answer. Um, I'm Googling it, this because I'm like, what? All of his titles are like that. I think the newest one is like, Thrice the Brinded Cat Hath Mewed. And what? it's like, they're all kind of like old timey um, references, which to be fair, there were a lot of really obscure kind of literary and yes. uh, like musical theater references in this book, which is very fun. There's... So I'm okay if there's no answer, but it's just one of those weird things. I okay, if I had to take a guess at what this means, I think it's like okay, unless some sweetness at the bottom why? It's like a riddle. Who cares for yeah. the crinkling of the pie? It's like I think it means unless there's something worthwhile and like exciting mm-hmm. at the end of it all, what's the point whether of all the dressing? Yes, whether everything else mm-hmm. is great or if it was a if it really was a pie, who cares? Like you said, Nikki, who cares about the crowd? Literally cares? It's flaky. <laughs> buttery whatever if the inside sucks you don't care about the top layer you know i think it i think it has to do with that it's like who cares about the overall bigger picture i guess if the smaller finer important stuff is not great (laughs) i don't know no, that makes sense. I mean, it's definitely the sort of thing that I'm sure lots of people have like different takes on, which is which is fun. And I think w- this would be a really rich book to study in a class. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's ever been on a syllabus for anything, just because it's it's like a relatively recent novel. Um, but I think for a student who's like studying literature, I think it would be really fun to study because yeah. everything is so nuanced and there's so much subtext and strange references that are kind of like only comprehensible to one person who is Flavia. <laughs> one thing I really appreciated about this book is that even though Alan Bradley is Canadian, it didn't feel like Canadian literature. Oh there God. is nothing I hate more than reading <laughs> books that's like this book is about Canada by Canadians. And I'm like, fucking die. They're so boring. I it know. is so boring. I did not yeah. take Canadian literature in class because in school because I was like, oh my God, I cannot sit through a whole year of that. So I was so pleasantly surprised when this took place in England. And I could just pretend that Canada didn't exist because. <laughs> Do you know what? I tend to agree with you because, and I think it might be because there's so much less money in Canada for this sort of stuff than there is in other countries. Like, I'm just going to go to the States automatically because there's so much, uh, such a bigger population and money floating around for the arts and you know just all sorts of stuff but like um i find a lot of the times when things get published or produced it's like okay does it check these boxes is this like good canadian content and like the only canadian book i remember reading in school that i had to read was stone angel by who i don't remember 
Um, I hated it. I hated it. And it's like so crappy because, <laughs> so that's my only experience I remember with Canadian literature growing up in high school when I could have read this, you know, I could have read so many other books. I'm sure there's so many Canadian books, but I don't know them because the only ones well, I had to read were awful. <laughs> when people so. talk about Canadian authors, they're like, this is a really great Canadian book. When you talk about American authors, people are like, this is a really great American book. No, they say this is a really great book. Yeah. It's just a good book in general. Like, I'd, I don't know. I was just really happy that it didn't take place in Canada. And it that wasn't, like, publicized or, like, um, you know, like, yeah. just part of, like, the marketing of this is that he is Canadian. Because who cares? I mean, it's great that he's Canadian, but I don't need that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I know what you're saying. I think a lot of Canlit kind of falls into this um, genre of, like, really dark, um, really kind of disturbing, um, like, s- stories that have a lot to do with the land. And yeah, I was going to say, Canadian- I was like, it's all just, like, flat... Saskatchewan. Yeah. It's just Saskatchewan. It's just. I didn't study a lot of Canlit <laughs> in university, um, but from what I did study, I was like, "There's a lot going on here. That's a bummer." And it, it's like, yeah, a Canadian authors a lot of the time. I mean, we don't want to, you know, paint a, a complete everyone with the same brush, but a lot of the time, I think they're identifying as Canadian before they're identifying as an author. Um, I don't know if that's fair to say. Um, I, and I think there's probably a lot more contemporary stuff that's mm-hmm. doing different things. But uh, I actually didn't realize that Alan Bradley was Canadian until this time reading it. I always just thought he was British because the right. I find the voices are so convincing. That's like one thing, though, just like uh, to go on a tangent off of that. Yeah. Um, doing I was working on a disability symposium and um, a lot of conversations they had revolved around uh, because I identify as a disabled artist, does that now mean that all of my art has to be about disability? Right. So people who identify themselves as Canadian authors, I don't know if they feel pressure, they won't get published maybe, or they feel that they won't get published if their art isn't about Canada. Right. If it's not Canadiana. Yeah. So I wonder if that has something to do with it. I if it if it does, I hope it changes because I live here. I want to read to escape yeah. my life. <laughs> so please throw something else at me. I'll keep I'll oh read God. Alan Bradley books till the cows come home, honestly. Yeah. Well, you can because there's so many of them. I do want to talk about my reading experience of the book mm-hmm. because I I did read the the ebook uh, a bit, but I mostly listened to the audiobook, and I think Nikki did as well for the most part. Yeah, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the narrator. Um, however, one thing I noticed, and now I'm noticing it whenever I listen to any audiobook, I'm like super paranoid. I'm like checking every book now. There were certain sentences or words that were switched in the audiobook while I was reading along to the ebook. Yeah. And some of them, like, some of them were very um, small changes, but, like, 
I highlighted one part where she was talking about her yard. And in the book, it says a garden because they're in England and they call it the garden. But the audiobook said the yard. And I was like, what? That's oh, weird. Yeah. So there were a few instances throughout the whole book that they would like slightly change details just to like make it North American, I guess. And I was like, why? Because <laughs> it's not written like that. So then I got curious um, and I was like, maybe the audiobook is newer. Maybe it came out years later after the book was published and they decided, okay, we're going to make it more North American because like, just like um, the Harry Potter books, the first book in Canada and England was um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone versus the States was the Sorcerer's Stone, right? So maybe they did that with the audiobook. I don't know, but I was so confused as to why they did that because the narrator had an accent. Uh, it was set in England. <laughs> don't know why, but there were a few sentences so they did that and it was so bizarre. So now every time I listen to a book while I'm reading it on my e-reader, I'm like checking because it's so weird. The narrator was amazing. Do you remember the narrator's name? I can look on my phone. The narrator, at least for the one I listened to, was Jane Entwistle. What a name. I love it. Right? She truly embodied Flavia. I can only imagine. <laughs> like, she was so sassy with her reading. I loved it. <laughs> I really, I'm really struggling to kind of, like, describe to our listeners who haven't read this book exactly what Flavia sounds like and like what she thinks about things. It's really difficult unless you've read it because it, it's such a complete um, depiction of a character. So I don't know. How would you describe her? Well, why don't we do a sort of like highlight reel of her f- best one-liners? Because I know I have oh, a bunch absolutely. So, okay, listeners, listen up. <laughs> We're going to give you... Do your thing. <laughs> We're going to read out rapid fire (laughs) some of her best lines go nikki if father had murdered him beneath my bedroom window the deed had been done in utter silence i could hardly imagine father killing someone without raising his voice (laughs) okay kelly rapid fire let's go oh i was like who's next okay had i been too cruel to that horror miss mountjoy too vindictive wasn't she, after all, just a harmless and lonely old spinster? Would a Larry Deleuze have been more understanding? Hell no, I shouted into the wind, and I chanted as we flew along, Oombachaka, 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 boom! <laughs> <laughs> She's just so fully herself she at is. all times. She and I <laughs> love it. I also love, I think there's a part where she says something about, like, could it be possible that I'm the problem? No! I'm great. I'm wonderful. <laughs> and it's like, she knows that she's great. And I'm like, oh, the confidence. I love it. In chapter eight, she says to the inspector, or in her head to the inspector, that sauce pot. What bloody cheek. <laughs> 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 she's just so feisty. And she is not, Yeah, she's not swayed by these adults around her telling her that she's wrong or that you know, you don't know what you're talking about or you, uh, make me some tea, <laughs> like all this stuff. She's just so, just, she just knows she's doing what her own she thing. is. Yeah, and she knows what yeah. she knows and you cannot tell her she's wrong. And I love that. She is so firm in her choices and her actions. Love it. I think every daughter, every son, every daughter specifically should be taught this, okay? <laughs> 
well, I'm almost 30 and I feel like I'm learning things from right. from her mm-hmm. just reading it. I'm like, you know what, Flavia? You're right. I should stand up more for my own self. <laughs> <Bloody> <laughs> my <cheek>. own self. <laughs> um, Nikki, I had a question for you, which yeah. is you. I know you were tabbing along to see uh, the clues mm-hmm. to see if you could figure out who solved the murder or who committed the murder. So who did you uh, suspect? Honestly, I had no idea. There was a portion oh. where I thought that maybe um, Bonapenny killed himself Ooh. to set up her dad. Um, and there was also a part where I kind of was suspicious that Dogger had done it to protect the colonel just because mm. of their storyline. Yeah, yeah, their backstory together. It would really make sense if he had stuck up for him and done that. And then in turn, the colonel would take the the flack to save Dogger. Um, but those were kind of my only two uh, big suspicions. And the rest of it, I was just on for the ride. I... I tabbed everything that I thought was important and going back through it today before we did the episode, I was like pretty spot on with the clues. I didn't tag a whole lot of stuff that was like not, not necessary. So I was like proud of myself for that, but I was still like, I still didn't know who it was. I think that, um, Bob Stanley was introduced late enough into the book that Mm -hmm. it was not, apparent that he was the one to kill uh bonapenny that being said i think that that is a typical um uh trope not trope a typical uh device that mystery authors use um you spend the whole first half of the book wondering who killed this person and they haven't even been introduced yet I think this is probably one of the only genres of literature that do that, because usually they say to introduce all your characters within the first, like, what, 100 pages or something like that. Oh, that's true. But, yeah, um, yeah I I didn't know. And then when it was, like, Mr. Oh, what was his fake name? Pemberton. 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 What is Bob Stanley? I was like, <gasps> the outrage. But, Yeah. <laughs> It was great. See, I had almost the exact opposite experience. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew it was him when he first came up. Whoa. But I was like, how? I don't know, Kelly. (laughs) So you knew the destination. You didn't know the journey. But it was only because of what you said of, like, he came in so late. And it was such like a, Mm. is your father home? I'm just writing about houses. I'm like, okay, no. Like coincidence i think not yeah in this small ass <laughs> town village whatever have you what have you you know i was like i don't i don't trust you i don't trust you and he was very like just familiar with her you know like hi blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. like no i don't think so so but i yeah. had no idea how because there were so many things going on and not in a bad way but like there was the stamp stuff there was the poison stuff there was um uh the stuff at the library you know like there were so many things happening all at once that flavia had to kind of like chew on and decide what she was thinking about or how what she thought about it and all that stuff that i was like i don't know how he did it but i guess it's him <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> but yeah that was all i had i was like it's him it's the butler you know like it's always the one you're like <laughs> 
I didn't know how. <laughs> Did does anyone know? Are those stamps real? I don't know, but I really hope so. Okay, so this is what I forgot to even mention that I also used to collect stamps. Haley. Um, no, you yeah, did not. I wasn't. Oh really I did. I was. I, I still have my binder <gasps> beside me. Um, I. It's not even that I was like super nerdy about it. Like I don't really know anything about stamps. Mm-hmm. I just was always really. Um, I really loved them because they were beautiful. They're tiny little pieces of art, and I like collecting things because I'm like slightly a hoarder. <laughs> um, so I just really loved the tiny little uh, little bits of paper that are beautiful. So Aww, that the part of the stamp mystery like really appealed to me because I was like, I also love stamps, but I don't have any of the equipment. I don't know anything about stamps. So I couldn't tell you if those stamps really exist or not. Um, I don't know if that stamp exists, but there is another stamp. Um, a one of a kind 1856 British Gianna one cent magenta. Whoa. It sold recently for 9.5 million dollars what so i don't know if it was maybe based on that everything that i'm seeing for ulster avenger has to do with the sweetness at the bottom of the pie but maybe it was like a made-up thing that maybe was inspired yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but i was like i i think i might have said this to kelly when i was reading it i was like i do not know how they managed to make stamps sound like intriguing because (laughs) at first i was like are you fucking kidding me that this whole book is about a stamp and then but i was invested (laughs) i didn't care that it was just a stamp i was invested but i was like are what (laughs) well but it's such a good story like the the, like grandfather janitor if this is the first book in the series which it is that's a risk to be like i'm gonna intrigue you with stamps the cover <laughs> a stamp what are you thinking alan who who let this go who okayed this <laughs> he wasn't trying to sell books he was just trying to tell his story true. but tilly i went tilly about your stamp collecting not not to make fun of you i was just like are you flavia <laughs> like chemistry stamps what else you're right <laughs> i might be flavia Did you you're too nice bicycle? to be flavia that's true but <laughs> <laughs> maybe you don't know what goes on in me, up in my head true and i didn't know you at, when you were 11 so maybe you were like a little sassy sauce pot no i was child. i was very shy Aww. um i also had a bicycle but i i was scared of it because i um had a really bad accident where i flew over the handlebars and like shredded my face oh my i had God. a friend in school that she did the same thing and she broke half of her face on picture day at school <gasps> oh no she, she had to get it. Yeah, she had to get, like, it's frozen. So, like, her eyebrow doesn't really move. She had, like, oh a God. facelift, basically, just in that portion. Oh, my gosh. On picture day. That's she crazy. kept saying, she's like, I had picture day. <laughs> That's, yeah, life's irony, huh? <laughs> oh, Anyways. Wow. <laughs> that blows. <laughs> that does blow. I really liked the part where Flavia and Mary were talking in the inn about um not about the part where mary said that she was accosted by the guest who we find out is bonapenny before he dies um but i really liked the part where flavia cheered her up and they had a moment of like camaraderie and 
I just thought it was like so realistic and touching because I think a lot of people do that. Like when you don't know what to say or how to make things better, you try to lighten the mood. And I just thought it was so well done and just such, such a fun moment out of such a not fun moment. Like to have a young woman talk about this man like creep up behind her and startle her and kind of frighten her um, in a bedroom, you know, alone. Um, and Flavia, <laughs> after Mary describes what happened, um, after she fought him off, it says here, um, she looked at me as if she'd said too much, as if a great social gulf had suddenly opened up between us. I'd have scratched his eyes out and sucked the holes, I said. That's Flavia. Her eyes widened in horror. John Marston, I told her. The Dutch courtesan. 1604. There was a pause of approximately 200 years. Then Mary began to giggle. Ooh, you are a one, she said. The gap had been bridged. Act two, I added. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was so sweet because it's like, I would have done this and sucked them out of the holes, you know, <laughs> sucked the holes. Yeah. I think that's also like really like such a like 11 year old response to <laughs> yeah. something because I think that if if one of us said something like that to the other um even if we didn't know what to say maybe we wouldn't quite go that route with it <laughs> but when you're when you're young you know you you like don't know what is an appropriate response to things yes you just say the first thing that pops into your head <laughs> i'm going to mention the particularly unnecessary and kind of like racist caricature yeah. in this book with the the flavius father's backstory they had this like magic trick that had like yikes overtones for me and i i I don't know i didn't i didn't i don't remember that i I think i kind of blocked it out the first couple times i read it and then i read it again and i was like "Woo, yikes that didn't need to be there yeah i mean not even overtones just like the whole thing was yikes (laughs) yeah you're right it wasn't it wasn't subtle it was like zero to hundred yeah Uh, yeah and i mean i understand that it is um part of the part of the time um the 50s but it you know, the, the, I I find it complicated because obviously Alan Bradley was writing this in like the twenty two thousand nine, so it, it it just feels like an unnecessary addition that kind of um, just took me out of the story a bit and kind of made me feel uncomfortable for a moment. Mm-hmm. I I think I also felt like a little bit uncomfortable just being like, oh, that's like that's not very like PC, but then I had to stop myself and think like. I think growing up now reading YA books, it sets you up for this really like everything is politically correct all of the time way of reading. Mm -hmm. And then when you read adult books, everything makes you uncomfortable or you're like, that's not right. But that's not the purpose. The purpose Mm -hmm. isn't always to be right and be politically correct. It's to tell a story and to add things in there that maybe aren't comfortable but are real Mm -hmm. so i think that that's a really important thing to think about i'm not saying that to like defend Mm -hmm. this book in particular i'm just saying that's i think a common thing that comes up through a lot of our episodes is that um like people are uncomfortable with certain things that are talked about in a book but it's not the book's job to make 
people feel comfortable about any kind of situation. So I think that's just, I don't know, like an important thing mm-hmm. to think about is like a book. It It's not like he is saying those things, I guess is what I'm right. saying. It would be different when you think about like JK Rowling and yeah. when she puts um, opinions in her books that are not good is one thing. But then when she tweets the same opinions, that changes how you see right. the book. It's coming directly from her. Right. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And also, I, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that the book isn't celebrating this trick. It, and I'm wondering, too, if it's maybe meant to make us feel uncomfortable as a signal that the character, Bonapenny, who is performing it with so much, like, vigor, is a bad person. Like, I don't know if maybe it's supposed to be kind of a signal to us mm. to not trust him or to think that he's bad. Yeah. Um, I don't, so that's something to consider as well. I don't think so, because the dad originally was doing it, the colonel, mm-hmm. but they only switched because Bonapenny was not good at being the the mm-hmm. guy who was the, Resurrected. like, subject Oh, the, the resurrector. Yeah. Yeah, so they just had to switch because of logistics. So I mm-hmm. don't think that was necessarily the the goal because then i think that would automatically translate to the colonel is also not a good person which i don't Mm -hmm. think is the case i think that the colonel Mm -hmm. is just sad and lonely and you know but anyway that's just my two cents yeah no makes sense i'm glad we i mean i think it's worth talking about yeah i think things in books that you don't agree with or that are like not um acceptable by like our ethics and morals and societal um expectations i guess if that makes any sense like i i think um i think it's important to an extent to have it just to have like discussion and analysis but it's like when you when it carries over into real life like nikki was saying with like jk rowling you know like that's a completely other topic because it's like you can have things in books that aren't correct that are not like (laughs) the way that the world should work you know but it's there to to be talked about or discussed or like it's part of the character you know like characters aren't perfect so they shouldn't be perfect you know what i mean yeah so well and people aren't perfect either sorry yeah and people aren't aren't perfect either yeah no, we just not. think we should be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think like this is a hard book to um make a really strong point about this with because the situation um isn't necessarily something that's like this had to be in the book to um mm-hmm. really grasp what was going on with the characters. Mm-hmm. But regardless, it's still a an important point um even if this isn't like maybe the the best um hit the nail on the head uh book to use it with if everything was written if people wrote historical fiction the way that they write contemporary books there would be nothing to talk about because a lot (laughs) of the stuff that happens in historical fiction are things that are not pc today because it was stuff that was happening all the time back then so Mm -hmm. if everybody in like an uh, like i don't even know like a good example like if everybody in like to kill a mockingbird I was, was like oh that 
that nice black man down the street, there'd be no story. Because, like, the whole point of the book is this problem. Yeah. To make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Uh, Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. I think it's all about um, being critical of what you're reading and being aware of the issues that they present. And, yeah, like you said, Nikki, things don't happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. There's always... um, uh, uh, bigger social issues that are influencing decisions or behaviors that we read about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's just good to acknowledge them and show that we're doing the work to try and self-educate and unlearn some of those behaviors so that going forward, it can be less harmful, but mm-hmm. it still does exist for sure. Also look at who is doing the trick, a bunch of well-to-do white British yeah. dudes at a prep school. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So, yeah. like, are we surprised? And this was in, like, the 30s, I guess, when they the did the yeah. trick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe earlier than that, the 20s. Yeah. So, like, you know. Uh, on the flip side, I do want to mention, it is set in the 50s. However, we have a very, very, like we've already mentioned, strong-willed female character in as the main role. Uh, main role, main character. And um, I just love how she like i think i mean i wasn't alive in the 50s but like i get the sense that women were taught you know to stay at home and to you know play the piano and do stuff that ophelia is doing or like you know find a man and flavia is all about learning and science which was not a very popular notion for women in the 50s and also the fact that she makes fun of men in her head all the time and she says it too <laughs> at times, right? Like I have a part highlighted um, where, <laughs> and I was like, wow, we could totally hang out. Honestly, she, <laughs> she said, it was one of those stupid things men say simply to get in the last word. There was nothing remotely funny about it. Still, they all laughed and were probably slapping their legs, you know, like just <laughs> like, I don't find them humorous at all. Stupid men, <laughs> this 11 year old. And she doesn't have a mom around either. So it's like, she's just kind of left to her own devices, it seems like, because her dad is like, you know, being a man in the 50s, he's working, he's doing his own thing. And um, she's got her books, she's got her experiments. And I love her for it. I love that she is just this badass little (laughs) spitfire (laughs) doing what she wants. And yeah, giving the world heck. I love it. And that might be why she um, says all those things, because she didn't have a mom. She's only looking at her dad, who is obviously a man, and says what he wants and does what he wants. And she doesn't have any recollection of her mother because she died when she was one. So she's like, this is how my dad acts, and so why can't I act like that? So we Mm -hmm. see kind of like her sisters, her oldest sister is kind of the most... Um, I would say traditionally feminine woman who has spent the most time with their mother. And then Daphne, who's more secluded. We don't see a lot of her kind of uh, real personality in this book. You just see that she reads a lot and she keeps to herself. And then there's Flavia, who spent no time with the mom. And she's just like, I've been around men. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the man things. I'm gonna just like do whatever I want. And I think that's really cool, honestly. But yeah. I, I liked all of the sisters. I thought they were great. Yeah. What cheek? <laughs> what cheek? 
Um, so I actually have a quote to read about this sisterly dynamic, which I thought was really great and gave me a lot of a kind of insight and into the character and also into the dynamic. So Flavia says, Charles Darwin had once pointed out that the fiercest competition for survival came from one's own tribe, and as the fifth of six children and with three older sisters, he was obviously in a position to know what he was talking about. To me, it seemed a matter of elementary chemistry. I knew that a substance tends to be dissolved by solvents that are chemically similar to it. There was no rational explanation for this. It was simply the way of nature. So I thought that was um, really kind of a sweet way of Fl Flavia to... Did I say Flavia earlier? Sorry if I did. That's how I read it in my head all the time. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a really sweet way of Flavia to kind of understand her sisterly dynamic. She doesn't think of it as like, I hate my sisters. She thinks of it as we're just too similar. So we like get on each other's nerves. We know how to break each other down. But like at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're still sisters. We still love each other. That's what I took from it anyway. And I thought that was very sweet. And she literally tries to break them down by poison. <laughs> I know. <laughs> With poison ivy, so, you know. I never did that, but I definitely like tried to spy on my siblings and be like write little notes. My I thought I was Harriet the spy. I was like, Olivia is sitting <laughs> on the couch reading. She saw me. She's coming towards me. Like <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Anyways, what a time. <laughs> um, so cute. <laughs> is it? No. <laughs> um, I have a question about a quote i highlighted in the book it's near the very end of the book there's only like eight pages left of the book at this point okay and flavia is talking to the inspector and she's looking at his notebook and um she asks him oh, what yeah. is it my symbol i mean and he says it's a p capital p a p i asked surprised what does p stand for ah he said that's best left to the imagination so I was like, what does the P stand for? Because then I was trying to think. I was like, is it like, I don't know, like, uh, pestilent or like, uh, I don't know. Like, like, what is the P? What do you think the P means? I would say probably pest. pest. I also wondered, but to me, I'm like, what would Inspector Hewitt see Flavia as? And probably like an annoyance, you know, a pest. Yeah. But... It does seem like kind of a mystery. So maybe it's something completely different. Like maybe it's pie because she discovered the pie. Oh. I don't know. What do you think, Nikki? Maybe he just said that to keep her thinking. Oh, to give her another project. Yeah. So <laughs> project? stay out of his way. Yeah. Pernicious? What does that mean again? Ooh, yeah. Like evil. <gasps> oh, maybe. I don't know. Poisoner? Oh my god, poisoner? Poison, because she's in the lab all the time. Whoa. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a fun little mystery, though, and I think Inspector Hewitt, um, for all he like didn't want her to be around, really kind of uh, really tolerated her in a way that was very endearing. Because yeah. he like really kind of did involve her. Like he yes. understood that she was like very intelligent, that she wanted to help, that she wanted to figure things out. And at the end, I mean, she was right about a lot of stuff, so he should have listened. Mm -hmm. I hope he also remains a recurring character through the rest of the books. I could see him being like the Lestrade to the Sherlock. Yeah. Right. I liked him. I th I think he's like a gruffy, grumpy man, but he's got mm -hmm. a good heart. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> And I also just wanted to share this quick little quote 
maybe to wrap things up because I just thought this really encapsulated Flavia's outlook on life and just her attitude um, and her love for knowledge. So this is in chapter five near the beginning of the book. And she's speaking to the librarian. Is this uh, Miss Mountjoy, I believe? Um, and it says, Still, one of my rules of life is this. When you want something, bite your tongue. I smiled weakly and said, I'd like to consult your newspaper files. Newspaper files, she gurgled. My, you do know a lot, don't you, dearie? Yes, I said, trying to look modest. I do. <laughs> <laughs> So sweet. Well, I think with that, we will end the episode. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of the BYOB podcast. If you enjoyed this and want to hear more from us, you can head over to our social media accounts to keep up to date on all things BYOB. We've got Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, the works. We've got another shot episode coming out next. So stay tuned after this to hear the first line of our next read, the popular alien erotica novel, Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. See you next time, and until then, keep on drinking in great stories. Cheers! Next time on BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book podcast. Up until yesterday, I, Georgie Carruthers, never believed in aliens. <laughs>